Amen. Amen, amen. You guys all right? Happy? Good. That was awesome. Johnny did us proud again, didn't he, and the team. I don't think we realize how blessed we are. Such a great, um, such a great, just a, we just have great worship, don't we? Just so good, so refreshing. So I'm just going to, I drive Phil, I do the discipleship thing with Phil every week, my old mate over there. And every week, Phil's got a slideshow and notes in absolute perfection sequence. And every week, I go all over the place and drive him absolutely nuts. <laughs> every time I look around, he's like. <laughs> and I feel like that again, Phil. I'm sorry. I'm going to be all over the place. <laughs> but but um, there's one thing that just stuck in my mind. I'm driving to church this morning, and this, this keeps sticking in my mind. And in the worship, I'm like, it's not on my notes for today. But I really felt God wanted me to read it to you. And it, so I'll, I'll get into my message in a second. But Nicky Gumbel, I just saw this. I'm sure most of you know who Nicky Gumbel is. Great guy. He's probably part owner of the building or something like that. He? <laughs> he says this. He says this, but I thought it was really cool. He says, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Just, just, just get your head around that. If you're, a, if you're a believer, if you've given your life to Christ, if you profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. Nothing. I know we can get into a little bit of a, I can do all these cool things for God and you know, maybe now, today, I'm in a good place with God. But the good news is, you're always in a good place with God. We're always in right standing with God. We're always in... If it was to do with our behavior, we would be in a world of trouble. Wouldn't we? I saw some of you drive to church. We would be... <laughs> we would be in a world of pain if it was down to us. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Nothing. 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 So when, when we do these, um, these, these series and we do these preaches and we spend time teaching, I think if all the preaching and all the messages and all the teaching and everything that we listen to, if we filtered it through this, because if we ever feel that we're not good enough and God's not pleased with us and now God's in a bad mood with us today, then the message is wrong, the preaching's wrong, the teaching's wrong. The guy up the front could do with a slap. <laughs> you said that. Well done. Anyway, I just felt I had to share that, so let's get into it. So I'm going to get into um, what would done Jesus do. This is part two of the four-week series we're doing. Uh, Phil started last week on indifference. Um, I thought it was quite amusing how he, when Sarah came up to pray for you last week and you said to him, hey, Phil, are you going to do indifference? He says, oh, I'm not sure. It was a joke. <laughs> and Sarah's like, well, maybe not then. <laughs> we were talking about it at home and Daniel, my oldest son, goes, yeah, that vineyard are a tough crowd. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'm, I got the subject hypocrisy. Okay, I've had some funny remarks about that. But um, it's a tough one, and I must say, I've not preached it before, and uh, the more I've got into it, can we just put the meaning up of it? 
the more I've got into it. So I originally started with the preparation of thinking that if we think of a hypocrite, right, we think of someone who says one thing and do another, yeah? Do we all know someone like that? Anyone know someone like that? Hands up. Come on. Come on. All right, we all know someone like that. Okay, but actually what it means, the word means, I'm, I'm sorry if there's any Greek people. Is there any Greek people in? So I don't butcher your language and, okay. Is hypocrites, hypocrites, however you pronounce it, was commonly used of actors of the Greek stage when they applied in the New Testament. It refers to hypocrite. So when Jesus was talking about hypocrites, so when he rebuked the Pharisees, which is, is, and he did quite harshly, we don't see Jesus getting kind of annoyed or such harsh rebukes, you brood of vipers. I mean, he was, he was pretty cutting to the Pharisees, right? Calling them hypocrites. Have we got that next scripture for me? I've got it up here, yeah. That shouldn't be there. <laughs> oh, yeah, next one. That's fine. There we go. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean on the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. So when Jesus is talking to them and calling them hypocrites, he's actually saying to them, you're a bunch of actors. He's not saying that they don't do what they say they're going to do. He's not saying you say one thing and you do another. Jesus is saying, when he says hypocrite, he's saying, you're an actor. And in his day, when he spoke to the Pharisees and the guy saw him go past and he rebuked them, they would know when he said hypocrite, he, the word refers to the famous actors they had in that time, actor. It's portraying that you are something that you're not. It's probably a good point now just to perhaps turn to the person next to you and tell them that this message today is just for you. <laughs> and maybe, and maybe, and maybe, and maybe, we turn to the person on the other side and say, it's not for someone you know, it's for you. <laughs> Let's do it. Well, the person behind you. So I was in, um, I was in Africa, and I was, um, oh, I don't know, in my 20s. Whenever I start these stories at home, my children all roll their eyes simultaneously. <laughs> when I was young... Well, we were in Africa, and, um, and we, Kerry and I, we went. We hadn't had the children yet, and so we went to meet this, this, these families in this mountain range, um, beautiful place. And uh, I thought I'd take Kerry off. Um, it, was still the, it was still the kind of days when I was trying to impress my wife. I've given up that now. <laughs> she knows me too well. And um, I, so we went to this stables, right? And there's all these horses, and there's all these Zulu cowboys, and, uh, and I walk in there, and they, I say, oh, we want to hire a couple of horses. And uh, the guy said, yeah, sure. Are you, a, are you an experienced? Are you intermediate? Are you where, where are you at? I said, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> experienced horse rider. <laughs> he says, are you sure? I said, yeah, 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 sure. I said, Kerry, this is all right. Get, get, a, get her the pony. I'll, uh, 
So they brought me out this half zebra, half horse, right? I'm not lying, it was a half zebra, half horse, right? I didn't think such a thing existed, but it did. And they're like, so you're not a, you're not an intermediate rider. Uh, you're, I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm good to go. Bring out the zebra, whatever, you know. I usually ride elephants, but can't bring. And um, anyway, I got on this horse, zebra slash horse, and they opened the gates with a yoo-hoo, whatever it was, and that thing was like a rocket. I was never been so scared in my life. I was holding onto that saddle as that thing headed to the mountains, right? Nearly, I turned around, my wife nearly fell off her saddle in fits of hysterics. And these two Zulu cowboys are riding, trying to catch next to me to grab hold of this flipping thing, right? And rein it in. And they said, you said that you're an experienced horse rider. I said, well, you know, I did when I was in the Scouts. We did a few little, we did a, we did a few trails and things. They thought it was hysterical. And so, we, so the next day, I thought I'd redeem myself, right? And um, there was a, they did also canoeing on this lake, but it's a lake. And I was in the scouts, and everyone else was in the scouts. I'd done loads of canoeing, right? So, they, so I said, I'll take to bring the children, because there's families with that little children. I said, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, you know, canoeing. I'm flipping there, you know, River Stour. I'm your man, right? <laughs> so I... Um, so, so I got all the children and my wife, Kerry, at the back, and we got in the canoes. She still loves it. She still laughs at this story. And we, got, we all set off. And I remember the guys said, uh, they said, you know, in Africa, we've got these big lakes, and um, the wind can really whip up. And um, it can be a bit like the ocean. And I said, no. They said, are, are, you, are you experienced canoeist? I'm like, yeah, I'll take the kids. And anyway, there was a little island about a kilometer into the lake, so I said to the kids, we're going to shoot off to the island and back again. And all the parents were like, are you sure? I said, yeah, sure. And we, anyway, so we, we paddled out, and much to my shock and horror, this storm, I mean, wind came out of nowhere, and there was, I've never seen waves on a lake before, I don't know if you ever have, and I, I had my wife, who was as white as a sheet, terrified, with the children all crying and screaming to get back to shore, and I didn't know, do I jump out and start swimming and trying to get them back to shore, or what do I do? It took, I think it took us about three quarters of an hour to get the children. By that time, the parents were all on the shore wading in to try, to try and rescue their poor children who were, it was horrific. So this is what I'm talking about. It's, it's not being who you say you are. So when Jesus rebuked the guys, we'll just put that scripture back up. That's exactly what he was saying. He wasn't saying, you guys say one thing and do another. He was saying to them, you do, it was the behavior. It was, it was the heart. It was the condition of their heart. They had the right behavior well, they had the law behavior, but the right heart attitude. Paul was a Pharisee. In um, Philippians here, Paul says about himself, as to my zeal for Jewish tradition and the persecution of the church and the righteousness, supposed right living, which my fellow Jews believe because now he's saved, I've proved myself blameless. Blameless, Paul says. Paul would draw, literally drag Christian families out of their homes and have them killed for not pursuing the teachings of the law and the accuracy of the law. 
So when Jesus is addressing hypocrisy, he's talking to the crowd and he wants them to know this. It's not about the actions. It's about having the right heart. Can I just put the next, the next slide up here? That was the, re- the other part of the scripture. The next one. Hypocrisy is the gap between what we show and who we are. What we show and who we are. I went to a chap in South Africa called Michael Eaton. Now, Michael Eaton, I don't know if you've heard of R.T. Kendall. He's a brilliant theologian. And um, we went to see Michael Eaton. He came into Durban, and he was doing a conference on um, grace and how, as a church, we need to reach the community through grace. And uh, so we all went there. He, this guy's written books. He's a, an absolute authority um, when it comes to scripture. He's an amazing grace man. And I remember we walked in there, uh, a bunch of leaders, and um, he sat down. He, he traveled the whole country, and he, all the kind of senior leaders and pastors and things were going to see him. And I remember we first walked into the classroom, and the first thing he said was, I'm going to, after studying the Word of God and teaching it for 30, 40 years, I'm going to summarize the entire words of Jesus, the entire teachings of Jesus in one sentence. In one sentence, I'm going to nail everything ever Jesus taught. And he said this. He said, treat other people how you want to be treated. Now, I was sat with my pen and paper poised to capture something phenomenally mind-blowing. And that's what he said. He said this, treat other people as you want to be treated. The entire teachings of Jesus can be summarized purely in this one sentence. And I was thinking quite a bit about this one sentence this week when I was talking about hypocrisy. And I was thinking how powerful that sentence is, that summary of Christ's teaching, if as God's people, we would contemplate before we acted or before we reacted to other people with a filter of treating other people how we'd want to be treated. Just, just think for a minute, because we're so, at times, I think, the, the world out there, I've heard it often said, and I don't like the saying, say, I'm not going to church, because they're a bunch of hypocrites. There's a bit of an indictment on the church, but I think what they actually mean is, we don't feel good enough to go there because the guys there think they're better than us. And I was thinking, if we reacted to everyone who ever challenged us or upset us with a filter of treating them how we would want them to be treated in that position. So someone who's upset you, my wife's got a great saying, over the years we've been, we've had lots of challenges, especially when we were pastoring Hat off to John. 
It's, uh, it challenges every single weak link of your character when you're going to stand up and pastor a church. And we had lots of them. We had criticism. We didn't do this right with the church, and we didn't do that right with the church. We could have done this, and you could have done that. We had, we had people um, con us out of a fortune. We've had people, we did different, our children were sick, and we had... Uh, we, took our, we ended up taking our, uh, our child for some alternative medicine, see if that worked after she'd been in intensive care so many times, and we got lambasted for, you for uh, going to the uh, cult, I think it was. And my wife would constantly say, every time I came home, absolutely ready to uh, take on some, some chaps, she'd always say to me, people are just trying to get through life the best they can. I said, my love, they've just ripped us off for thousands. Oh, well, maybe they needed the money. <laughs> of course they did, my love. Because they also had a lot to say about the children. Maybe they're struggling with their children. They're just trying to get through life. Do you know, we had a whole load of accusations last week. Oh, well, maybe they had a bad day. I'll be driving in the car and someone will drive in front of me and nearly kill us all and then wave lovely hand gestures at me and she says... Oh, shame. Maybe he's just trying to get through life in the best he can. <laughs> I want her to say, get out the car and smash that guy. <laughs> I was reminded as well when I was preparing this on hypocrite, portraying something we're not, of a friend of mine used it to preach that he was in America and there was a guy, a Christian guy, lovely guy, he was driving, he wasn't having a particularly great day. And everyone kept honking their horn. Every time he turned in and out of the car park, he'd get honked. On the way home, trying to get out of the car park, they honked. He was pulling out of the mall, and apparently another person honked, and he just lost the plot. He ran round out of the car and um, actually grabbed the guy, said, why are you honking, and slapped the guy round the face. He said he'd, he, he'd lost the plot. And the guy, came, after he managed to calm the guy down, said, look, and what had happened that morning is his wife had stuck a bumper sticker, honk if you love Jesus, on the boot. <laughs> Can we have the next scripture? Now, this I love, and, now, and I think we all know this scripture well, but I just, I just love the way Jesus just talks to people when they ask him questions. How can you say to your brother, brother, allow me to take the speck out of your own eye when you yourself do not see the log in your own? Some of the scriptures say, here, John, just come here quick, just quick illustration. John, that's not a present. Some scriptures say, just hold that there, just there. Some, some scriptures translate as, as this. This is, how, this is how some of the scriptures say. They say this, but I want you guys to remember this, and you probably will because it's quite an unusual sight, isn't it? <laughs> how can you say to your brother, this is the other translations say, why do you want to take the twig out of your brother's eye when you can't see the beam, the log in your own eye? Let me try, thanks, John. Let me translate it another way. Thank you. We're so quick, aren't we, to portray ourselves sometimes, well, maybe not all of us, some of us, 
of having it all together. And let's face it, we haven't really got it all together, have we? Anyone got it all together? Hands up. <laughs> so what Jesus is saying is, why don't you, and this, is what it, and this indirectly was what exactly what he was saying to the hypocrites. He was saying this. What I want you to do is this. And this, all the studying I think I've done this week and reading all the different commentaries on, on hypocrite and being hypocritical as a Christian, it comes down to this. If you want to be effective for my kingdom, sort your heart out. If you want to make Jesus famous in this community, you need to sort your heart out. Because when your heart comes in line with my heart, we're going to see supernatural wonders. That's what Jesus is saying. We want to make Jesus famous, and we, want to, we don't want to be a bunch of people, do we, who the world thinks they're not good enough. And they do. They, if they knew us, they wouldn't feel like that, would they? They'd be like, I know these guys, really. You don't have to feel inferior. Come on along, right? Because we're just real, normal people. But the world out there thinks they're not good enough for God, and they're not good enough for the church. Because so often we want to tell them, hey, let me help you sort this, all these problems out. But we need to sort this out in our life. This is what God wants to do. I'm absolutely convinced, preparing this message, and in the series that we're doing, what would Jesus undo? The reason, the reason Jesus wants to do in things and undo things in our life is to make us more effective for the kingdom of God. That's why he wants to undo things in our life. That's why we come to church and we hear, you're not coming, obviously, to listen to me. You're coming to meet with God, and God's saying to you this morning, deal with this. Deal with this. This can be bitterness. This can be unforgiveness. This can be holding a grudge. This can be the hurt. This can be trauma. But this will weigh you down. God doesn't want you weighed down. He wants you free. And God's word brings freedom. The presence of the Holy Spirit brings freedom. And God doesn't want you walking with that baggage, does he? You know, when we talked about the, the prodigal son and the older brother, the older brother was exactly the type of person Jesus was talking about when he actually spoke about that parable. He was speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders of the time. And when he described the older brother, he was paralleling the Pharisees to the older brother. And the older brother was, spent his whole life trying to do things to get God's things. He was trying to please the father to get the father's things. So he was enraged, enraged, when the younger brother, who'd been a hooligan, came home, said sorry, and the dad's like, great, let's have a party. So while the youngest son's having the best day of his life, the older son is outside because of this, missing everything that the father was doing on the inside. He was on the outside, missing the party. And we like a party, right? Of course we do. Another great illustration. Someone tell me, how long have I got left? 
<laughs> he said two hours. What a graceful response. Thank you. Another great one was um, John 8. When, how's the, um, the so they're in the, they're in the um, temple and they bring a woman who's accused of, well, no, sorry, wasn't accused. She was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Do you remember the story? John 8 from verse 1. And so the woman was brought in to Jesus, and they're trying, to, they're trying to snare him, obviously, and the Pharisees brought him in, and they brought the woman to Jesus, and they said, this woman has been caught in adultery, red-handed. So it wasn't a, we need to go to trial thing here. We've caught her red-handed in adultery. She deserves execution. The law says execution, what do you say, Jesus? What do you say? Because that's what the Lord does, doesn't it? Do bad, get bad. Do good, get good. But grace is, we get what we don't deserve. So what does Jesus do? He starts writing in the sand. First of all, we should say, where was the guy she was with? What happened to him, hey, Sarah? Where's the guy? The guy is not there. And according to the law, the person who threw the first stone had to be completely sinless. That was the law as well. So Jesus was very clever. He says, okay, you without sin, so you without one blemish, you throw the stone to start killing this woman. And then he kneels down in the sand and he starts to write. Now, some, I've read a few commentaries on this, and it's quite interesting. And to be honest with you, nobody knows what Jesus wrote in the sand. But the commentaries by some great theologians, far cleverer than I, say, one of them said, which I thought was quite funny, he started writing the names of their girlfriends. <laughs> Possible. Some of them said he started to write down some of their sins some of their flaws in their own character. And the Bible says what? They started to walk away from the oldest to the youngest. And Jesus turns to the woman who deserved execution under the law. Woman, where are your accusers? Where have they gone? She said, I don't know. They've all disappeared. What a result. And Jesus says, he doesn't say, carry on. Grace doesn't just doesn't enable people to carry on in sin. He says, don't do this anymore. Stop. Stop your sinning. But he extends grace. He looked through the filter of what he was going to do on the cross, and he extended it beautifully to that woman. And I'll tell you, that woman's life, I'm pretty sure, would never have been the same again. When we extend grace... But it's really hard to extend grace to people when we're carrying this around. Because we're like, you don't deserve grace. We deserve grace. You don't deserve grace. Is that bad? You just think how bad we were before Jesus. Some of us are a little bit naughty since Jesus, but that's just imagine <laughs> before Jesus, right? And the grace he poured out to us. We didn't deserve it, did we? Do we deserve it? We didn't deserve it. So we need to be, we need to replicate that. 
We need to be that. We need, but it's really hard, and it is hard. And, and, and my wife and I, over the years, have, have, have spent probably thousands of hours counseling people through hurt and trauma and bitterness and unforgiveness. But the lovely thing is what we've seen, and that's why we did it, and that's why we still continue to do it through discipleship and other things is, when people deal with this, you see what they do. You see how their life change. I just listened to a, a, a quick thing on the guy who, when they went across in the boat to the demonized man, do you remember? That they'd never been across that side before. It was the pagan side. They were too terrified, so they all went in the boat. So there was a lot more to that boat trip than just we were getting a nice little trip. They were going over to... And the guy there was full of... De- do you remember? The, the demonized man, full of demons, and they chased the demons into the pigs, and there's a whole load of teaching behind that. And how Jesus, this guy was an absolute nut. Set the guy free. Do you remember the guy wanted to come back? He wanted to come back with Jesus. They said, no, no, no. He goes, you stay here. We're going back. He extended grace to the guy. They came back. You can see later on in the scriptures. And if you want it, it's a brilliant teaching. Ask me and I'll, I'll, I'll WhatsApp it to you if you want it. How they went back and the whole region's changed. One man set free. One man extended grace. Not a bunch of guys didn't jump off that boat right. This is what you've got to get right in your life before we can get going. Extended grace brought healing. It's life-changing stuff. And all of us here have that anointing, that same power that raised Christ from the dead in us to do that. So my advice today is, and a lot of us have got this stuff, deal with this. John wants you to deal with this, don't you, John? (laughs) John says, sort this out, people. (laughs) Kerry says, people are just trying to get through life the best they can. (laughs) Michael Eaton says, one of the best theologians ever, that everything Jesus said is, go out and treat people how you want to be treated. Just just do that. Amen? I phoned a friend. I'll I'll, I'll read it to you. I phoned a friend. Game show, isn't it? I phoned a friend, and I said to him, his name's Colin, and he, he travels the world doing crazy things for, for the Lord. And I phoned him, and it, it was, I said, what are you doing this weekend? And he said, um, I said, he asked me, and I said, oh, I'm preaching. He goes, what are you preaching on? I said, hypocrisy. He goes, oh, tough subject. I said, yeah, tough crowd. <laughs> and he said, um, I said, I said, well, look, if you feel anything, um, I said, text me. And he was just boarding a plane, Um, to go off to do something and he says as he got on the plane he felt to send me this and this is what he said I'll finish with this he said the first thing that popped into my head I just thought this was really good the first thing that popped into my head about hypocrisy is that it opposes dying to self we are hypocrites when we try to defend ourselves when we want to hide something yeah yeah that hidden sin. That's why it's so important. We all know sin thrives in darkness, doesn't it? Thrives in secrecy. So important that we're a people as well. With each other, where I can come and say, I'm struggling with this, and I can have some accountability, because that brings freedom. Because that secret sin is the same as this. And I know you guys sin. Because I know I can sin. And Jesus knows you can sin. 
And the statistics of what some of us get up to is outrageous. But God wants us free from it. Because we're like Phil said last week, very eloquently, we are salt and light to the world. We should be what they are drawn to like a moth, right? Anyway, Colin says, when we were, he said this, he said, when hypocrite, when, when, we, when, <laughs> when we are hypocrites, they try to defend ourselves, when we want to hide something, when we want to put others below us, that's another, another common trait. C.S. Lewis, I don't know how he remembers all this, C.S. Lewis said this, and I thought this was pretty cool as well. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking less, thinking of yourself less. If your spiritual life is outward focused and willing to live and serve others, it will be difficult to be accused of hypocrisy. By the fruit, you should know them. Hypocrisy is the fruit of an unclean heart. And we don't want that. So let's pray together.